Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Whew! What a week. It feels like we have had another decade of news in a one-week period. 2020 is completely exhausting. So today, I hope you're taking great care of yourself, lady, and putting a huge emphasis on self-care because you deserve it. So put your feet up, Grab a drink and join me for today's show because I have another amazing lineup of guests to share with you today. You don't have to be an expert to know that this pandemic has hit parents hard. But when you hear the actual numbers, it's pretty sobering. Dr. Andrea Gonzalez, the lead author of the Ontario Parent Survey, joins me to share some of the jaw-dropping results of her study that was conducted in May and June of this year. If you're looking for your next great read, look no further. You won't want to miss my interview with Marcy Warhoft, who joins me to share the details on the release of her new book, The Good Stripper, a soccer mom's memoir of loss, lies, and lap dances. Canadians now have an incredible new way to treat major depressive disorder that is non-invasive and medication-free. It's truly a game-changer. Dr. Steiner joins me to discuss the benefits of Brainway's deep TMS approach and how it can help you. We are living in the age of protest and many parents want their children to show up and speak up for issues that matter to them. How to do that safely though, especially during this pandemic, is the challenge. Samantha Kemp-Jackson joins me to share some of the tips she shared in a recent article in Today's Parent. The ever-lovely Anne Brody is joining me to share an exclusive interview she has with Numi Rapace and Joel Kinnaman from The Secrets We Keep. Plus, two absolutely can't-miss premieres this week on Netflix. Finally, if you've been struggling with the Quarantine 15, my next guest wants you to step off the hamster wheel of crazy diets and fads. Randa Dirks enjoys me to share why she wrote her new ebook, Real Life, the No Deprivation Nutrition Guide. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get rolling with what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. Cause I already got a good thing. speculate that this pandemic has caused an inordinate amount of stress for women, but when you see the hard numbers, there is little room to dispute the impact. Dr. Andrea Gonzalez is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at McMaster University and a member of the Alford Center of Child Studies. She holds a Canada Research Chair in Family Health and Preventative Interventions. She is the lead author of the Ontario Parent Survey, which examines the impact of the COVID-19 lockdown on caregivers and their children. She hopes these findings will help inform practice and policy changes to support families during these unprecedented times. She is personally coping with the stressors of COVID-19 by enjoying time with her husband and 10-year-old son, biking, taking walks, losing at board games, and eating lots of ice cream bars. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thanks so much, Candice, for having me. So this study I read with fascination, but let's just sort of lay out, when did you conduct the study? Over what time period? 
So we launched the study uh, the, at the beginning of May, and then it ran until mid-June. So I think we closed it on June 19th. So it was open for about six or seven weeks, and it would have really encompassed that initial lockdown period because I think it was, um, we hadn't even had any of the phased reopenings yet. Okay, and how many uh, people were surveyed then? So this was um, what we call a crowdsourcing or web-based survey. So we had sent the link around um, widely to all sorts of partner agencies, so public health uh, units, Ontario Early Year Centres, various school boards across the province, um, and child and youth mental health lead agencies, and then different parenting groups shared it on their social media platforms. And we had an overwhelming response. We were actually thinking we were only gonna get about 2000 people and we, we got over 7,000 um, that actually responded. And these were caregivers with children ages zero to 17 years. So it represented um, you know, parents with all sorts of different kinds of parenting experiences. And that's probably a little bit indicative of the fact that, you know, people were locked in their homes, very connected and were able to access the survey on, you know, if, if life was running normally. Uh, probably wouldn't have had the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people really wanted to um, have their voice heard. Like we, we at the end of the survey, we left uh, options for what, like text box responses or written responses. And we had so many people, right, like close to 4,000 people wrote in those um, open-ended text boxes to kind of individualize their experiences for us, um, which was actually quite humbling and quite um, interesting too for us. Okay, so let's talk about some of the specifics then. What were some of the um, most alarming things that came out of this? Yeah, I think we sort of knew or suspected, and I know from my own personal experience that this was gonna be very stressful for Ontario families, but what was surprising to us were the actual numbers. So we had close to 60% of caregivers um, sort of have very high levels of depressive uh, symptoms. So this isn't a diagnostic tool that we used. It, it's not indicative of um, major depression, but these are symptoms that are associated with like clinically relevant um, depression. And when we looked further in the data, because that number was so shocking to us, uh, and the actual individual items, what we were finding is it was things like feeling overwhelmed and not being able to stay on top of things or having the energy to do things or um, sleep patterns being uh, disrupted. So those things that were really tapping into how stressed parents were. Uh, the other um, major finding was that about a third of parents were reporting moderate to severe anxiety. Again, not surprising given um, the circumstances we were all in, but um, surprising in, in the fact that there were so many people reporting that. And then I think the third major um, thing for us was that we asked parents how their children were doing and about 40% indicated that their child's behavior and mood was worse um, since the pandemic had, uh, had started. So again, it was a very high statistic and um, just about another 38% were reporting that their children's behavior and mood was the same and only 12% was indicating that their children were actually doing better uh, since the pandemic started. But even that is a little bit concerning because you have to wonder, like, is it that 
children are sort of escaping, you know, separation anxiety or bullying or those kinds of circumstances. So in the short term, they might be better, but we don't know what they'll actually look like in the long term. So I don't know if you uh, watched the, so have you seen the social dilemma um, on um, Netflix yet? But uh, so I read with interest the uh, part in your study about um, screen time. Mm -hmm. So parents had a lot of concerns in and around that. Yeah, absolutely. We asked parents specifically about COVID types of stressors or experiences that were concerning to them. And an overwhelming uh, percentage, I think it was 50% or slightly more, indicated that they were worried about the amount of screen time um, that their children were now experiencing. And it came from many sources. So, we, I mean, we hear from Canadian Pediatric Society and American Pediatric Society about how screens aren't good. Um, and then here, all of a sudden, we're thrown into a circumstance where there's nothing, almost nothing but screens, because, you know, if they were involved in distance learning, it was all on screens. If they were trying to make sure that their kids weren't feeling isolated and could still interact with friends, it was via a screen. Um, and then also for the working moms, and because our, our survey was mostly mothers or female caregivers, um, you know, in order to balance things, they kind of have to loosen their typical screen time uh, rules because they needed to work. And um, so kids were having access to more of their screen, you know, whether it's video games or TVs or whatever. So. Yeah, it was a complete adjustment period for everybody. You know, you suddenly go from, you know, having all this structure in your life to no structure and having to work at home and manage everybody's priorities. Um, so what were some of the specifics that you heard? Was there anything, you know, that in those notes that you that you received that sort of alarmed you or um, wants you makes you want to take a deeper dive on this? Yeah, I think um, we're having a, a qualitative researcher actually pull out the themes, but just in looking through them myself, there were a few things that sort of stood out. It didn't matter the age of the child um, that the parent was talking about or, or that they had, but isolation was a major concern. So for younger um, kids like, well, first of all, for, for fairly new mothers with infants or, or toddlers, there were major concerns about how isolated they were feeling during the postpartum period and um, their infants not having any kind of social interaction and what kind of impact that would have on their development. And then for the more middle school kind of adolescent age children, it was about how isolated they were feeling missing their peers and their friends, which is a major part of you know, development in terms of that age group and also missed milestones. So we had parents talking about missing grade eight graduation, missing the prom and how, how what a negative experience that was for their children. And one, one mom was actually reporting how her child ran away in order to kind of cope and, and how challenging that was for the family. A second theme that sort of emerged was, um, oh, sorry. And in relation to isolation, it wasn't just um, the kids feeling isolated, it was also the parents, so they had no escape and no um, relief, I guess, really, um, and how isolated they were feeling because they weren't even seeing their extended family members and how much extended family really plays into um, caregiving relief, really. And, it, you know, we have the saying that it takes a village to raise a child and all of a sudden your village is gone. And what does that mean both for the parent and for the child? 
Um, and then the second, you know, major theme was about balance. And, and a lot of these moms, a, a big proportion of them were working mothers or, or female caregivers, um, you know, and trying to balance that and the distance learning. So all of a sudden they had three hats that they were trying to wear. Um, one was being the regular parent, the second was being the teacher and the manager of the distance learning, and then the third was being an employee, um, you know, and trying to maintain whatever obligations they had related to work, um, and the amount of stress and strain that that caused both on them, um, but the family as a whole, too. Okay. So if people want to know more than they want to, like, actually get all of the information that you compiled and, and read into this, where can they find this study? So we have a website, um, it's www.strongfamilies.ca and both the infographics, so it's just a one page high level kind of stats is uh, posted there as well as the 10 page executive summary, which kind of does a deeper uh, delve into the, uh, the overall findings across the study. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much. We'll put that up on the video that goes out on social. Thank you so Great. much for joining me today. Okay, thank you. Take care. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. There is no better coronavirus escapism than reading a great book. Marcy Warhoft is a recognized expert on body image and self-esteem and founder of the Fit Versus Fiction Body Image Workshops. She is a regular contributor to Optimize Fitness Magazine and is one of Canada's top 100 influencers for 2018, 19, and 20, and has appeared on numerous television and radio programs across North America. On top of all of that, she has just dropped a page turner of a book this week titled The Good Stripper, a soccer mom's memoir of loss, lies, and lap dances. Welcome to the show, Marcy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so I, I have to disclose that obviously you sent me a copy of this uh, in advance to read and I couldn't stop reading it. And all I could think was, this takes a tremendous amount of courage to come forward with mm. the story. So what compelled you to? It's funny because I hear, <laughs> I hear so often now how brave I am. And I'm thinking, am I brave or, <laughs> or am I a little crazy? To be? Um, what compelled me? You know what? Honestly, the truth is I lived with so much shame and so much guilt over stuff that I had done throughout my life, through mistakes that I felt I had made. But though that shame that I carried, it really robbed me of joy and experiences in my life. It was such an anchor around my neck. And it really, it, it affected my self-esteem and my self-worth so much that I honestly started to believe that I was taking up space and resources that we didn't, I didn't need to be, that I didn't deserve to be here. Um, and as a mother, I, don't, I can't afford to have those feelings. As a human being, I don't deserve to have those feelings. And I just something, I had an interesting day where I just, it just sort of hit me that no, I haven't been through everything I've been through to have my story end here. And I started to just forgive myself and, and to really understand that I'm not my trauma. I'm not my mistakes. 
that I deserve to be happy regardless of what I've been through. And I need to start being kinder to myself. And, and the amazing thing is it, it was slow, a slow process. But it's, I, it's almost as if when I exhaled my shame, I inhaled my life. And it gave me so much energy and, and freedom. And I learned that by embracing all of me, even my mistakes, and understanding that I did the best that I could with what I had at that time. I did the best that I could. Um, I learned that, that there was just this weight lifted off my shoulders. And I just started to, to live so freely. Nobody can shame you if you don't feel shame. You know, right. and nobody had that power over me anymore because especially now. So here, all these secrets that I was so terrified all my life that were going to come out, I put in a book <laughs> and <laughs> here you are with it. So, and I, and I wrote it because I feel like there's so many people who are living the way I lived. There's so many people who are living with shame and letting that be this heavy blanket that, that they wear constantly. And I want them to see that, you know what, you can get past it. And you, the main message is you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be healthy, we all do. And we just have to believe it and then start moving forward. So, you know, in writing this, you are, you are helping a lot of women, I'm sure, uh, shake free uh, some of the shame they feel, but you also had to come clean uh, with your children and share that history with them. So how did that go? So <laughs> I, I, they knew I was writing a book and they knew I've talked about parts of my life. They knew I talked about my body image struggles. But they didn't know some of the more salacious stuff, the more adult stuff and mistakes I had made. And I didn't tell them about it right away. And they're older, they're 20, 19 and 22. Um, and I met with them and they were fantastic. They were unbelievably kind of unfazed by a few things, but I didn't overshare. And they don't, they're not gonna read it. They don't wanna read it. I don't, I'm happy if they read it when they're 50. Um, but what I told them, I told them a few things that they needed to know that they would hear about. But I went into it, I went into it, I was terrified, but I was also, I had to go into it unapologetic. I had to go into it owning my story and my life. And what I told them was, I was gonna give them a little bit of information. I wasn't gonna overload them, but I'm open to them, whether it's two weeks from now, five years from now, 15 years from now, if they wanna ask me anything, I will be open and honest with them, but I will not just kind of throw my life at them. And I, but I had to, I had to be prepared if they were mad, if they read something later and they are mad, I had to be prepared for that. But my lesson to them also is if I project myself as this perfect person and this perfect mother, they're going to think that they have to be perfect too. And I never want them to think that I want them to know if they make mistakes that they can recover from that and move forward. And I, and I'm an example of that. So it's an, excellent, it's an excellent message for all of us. Yeah. And, and I know that people are going to pick up this book. Again, I could not put it down. I know people are going to pick up this book. They're going to rip through it uh, and, and follow you everywhere on social media. But, so, but if people want to grab this book, where can they get it right now? Right now on Amazon or um, Chapters Indigo. But Amazon is, it's the amazon.com or .ca. It's, 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 it'll be available uh, on the 22nd of September, but it is available for pre-order right now. Amazing. So we're gonna put that link up. And if people want to follow you on uh, Instagram, where can they follow you? Just my name, Marcy Warhaft. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marcy. Thank you.
Considering at the top of the hour we discussed the rise of depression in Canada, it is fitting that my next interview is about a non-invasive and medication-free way to treat major depressive disorder. Since 1988, Dr. Steiner has been helping people suffering from depression and other emotional challenges. He has taught university courses in mental health and worked in the psychiatric department of numerous hospitals. When researchers began publishing studies by the hundreds proving the effectiveness of deep TMS, he knew this was something he wanted to bring to his patients and anyone looking for an alternative to medication. Dr. Steiner saw the lack of accessibility to deep TMS in the greater Toronto area and understood it was up to practitioners like him to bring it to the public. Welcome to the show, Dr. Steiner. Thank you for having me. So I am, I am very excited to hear about TMS because I've heard about this before, but for my audience, I'm going to let you tell them all about it. Okay, thank you so much. I never miss an opportunity uh, to clear up a misunderstanding that many people have about depression and anxiety and mental illness. Um, and that um, misunderstanding is held by patients who give themselves a very hard time and often feel overwhelmed by guilt. And that misunderstanding is also shared by loved ones who are trying to help and get continuously frustrated. So there's two parts of the brain. There's the logical part in the front here, that's the part that thinks. And then there's the emotional part back here, that's the part that feels. Picture a ballroom dance, if you will. There is a lead and there is a follow, right? The lead is the one that thinks of the steps and executes them. And the follow is the kind of contributes the passion and the emotion. They need to be connected and in sync for the dance to follow well. In the part, in the brain, the logical thinking part is the prefrontal cortex, that's about here. The emotional parts, the limbic system and so on are back here. In a non-depressed brain, and you can see this on a SPECT scan, the parts are connected well. They're talking to one another. Let's go back to the ballroom for a second. Imagine they're dancing beautifully, and all of a sudden there's this horrible feedback noise that's really loud, and it's overwhelming, and they get shocked, and the lead lets go of the follow. What happens? The lead's gonna just stand uh, or sit on, on the side or leave the building altogether, whereas the follow is, because the follow is just pure passion, it's gonna be bouncing all over the place, either in sort of an anxiety, or when it's finished bouncing all over, it'll eventually land on the floor in, in utter depression. And they're too frightened to engage again in this dance, and they need help. So in the brain, and you can see this on the imaging studies, the frontal part and the emotional part, they're just not talking, they're not lit up, and they're in fright. They, they can't um, introduce themselves, can't engage to one another. So what we have with TMS is this gentle magnetic pulsed wave, which is pretty um, painless, except for some scalp discomfort in the beginning that you get used to. It's applied here and it generates just enough energy to give rise to an electrical impulse that gets those neurons firing again, that gives rise to that, those connections that we need so badly for the logical part and the emotional part to work together. So in our clinic over here, we use that TMS and it's got um, really amazing results. Um, years ago, it had FDA approval in the States and Health Canada now since 2013 um, here in Canada. And the original studies were showing figures close to medication. In other words, they would take a whole bunch of people that were on medication and not doing well 
they would do a medication wash, take them off their medication, and then give them the TMS. Over 32% went into remission with the TMS. So that's close to medication. But that's not the real world. In the real world, the figures are even better. Because if you leave them on their medication and you give them the head start, we're seeing in the latest study of over 1,000 patients, up to 72% of people with depression are feeling much better. Wow, that's TMS. incredible. That's incredible. Do I have another minute? I want to tell you one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So our clinic is not simply just TMS because that's offered in other places as well. But what we find is if we, if we add a number of elements to the TMS, it actually increases the chances of getting better and more importantly, relapse prevention. And I've got one more analogy for you, okay? You're in a car and the ignition is not connected to the engine. No matter how many times you turn the key, it ain't working. So you fix the stuff under the hood and now you can get moving but you've forgotten how to drive. You need some help with that. Right. And sometimes it's been so long, you've forgotten where you wanna go. So that's why we add what's called behavioral activation to get the person used to the dance again, and also positive psychology to help them remember what's important to them, their priorities, reach down into their soul, if you will, to get them back on the road and to keep going. So it's really a holistic approach then, really. Absolutely. This Absolutely. is wonderful. I'm excited about it. I, I've heard about it before, so I'm thrilled that it's here in Canada because I think it is an incredible uh, approach. But So if people want to know more, where can they find you? TMSofCanada.com. Okay. 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 And uh, that's the best way. Okay, excellent. So we'll get that up on the video that goes out. And I'm very excited for this. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for your time, Candice. Keep well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Making a sign, showing up, and taking a stand for your beliefs is one way to show your kids and your community what anti-racism work looks like. Doing it safely, however, is an entirely different matter, especially right now. Joining me to discuss is Samantha Kemp-Jackson, a successful writer, media commentator, public speaker, and podcaster. Since 2011, Sam has been heard as a frequent syndicated parenting expert for CBC Radio, with segments broadcast nationally throughout the year. In addition, she's also a weekly national panelist on CTV News Channel on a segment called Behind the Headlines with veteran journalist Beverly Thompson, a role she's held since 2017. You can also catch her on her popular podcast, Parenting Then and Now. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Oh, thanks for having me, Candice. It's so good to have you back. I always love discussing things with you, but this in particular, this topic really interested me. Um, you know, it was around this time last year that I was attending the climate rally um, mm -hmm. with my children. And it feels like we've just been in this cycle of protests since then. 
Yeah, you know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if, you know, the galaxy is in retrograde or what. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of strange things going on. And it seems like it's all kind of culminated now with, uh, you know, not only climate, but unfortunately, a lot of racial tension and strife. And, you know, the, the positive thing, though, I think about this whole thing is that people are using their voices, families are using their voices, and they are getting out there uh, and protesting and making their their um, feelings heard and they're including their kids, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, uh, growing up, I mean, I, I believe you're Gen X as well. I'm Gen X and, and mm -hmm. growing yeah. up, you know, protests were just something that were not in my wheelhouse. I mean, we really, I guess, didn't have anything to protest. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, we, we didn't really, or if, even if we did, I think that protesting per se was perceived to be the, within the realm of the radical people, Precisely. Uh, you know, they were either radical if they were protesting or they were hippies or back in the seventies when I was a kid, they used to call them pinkos, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, uh, I think that in light of recent events and, and the world, the reality of the world that we're living in, uh, I think it's mandatory and necessary now that we make our voices heard if we, do, if we want things to change and we don't want the status quo to remain. Right, and I think that we're, what's going to happen now is that these protests are going to become more frequent. Uh, we're going to see more of them about Black Lives Matter, about climate. Uh, there's a lot of, of, of things at play here. So let's talk about, we obviously we want our, our children to be involved. We want, to, want them to understand their voices matter. Um, but how do we do it safely? And is there an age that we should be considering bringing them down to? Um, let's start with all of that. Well, you know, first of all, I'd say that, you know, is it ever too early to learn about the injustices that are going on in the world? Now, obviously, we can't speak to a, an infant or a two-year-old about, you know, the intricacies of racism and race relations, but we can certainly show our children that we are taking a stand uh, in terms of something that we believe is important. And I've seen many parents do such, such things uh, as taking their infants and their young children to protest. And you're going to see more and more of this, Candace, uh, as time goes by and as we see more things changing within our society and things being brought to light that were um, previously not seen because we didn't have video footage or cell phone footage like we have uh, ubiquitously now. Um, so I would say the first thing to do is uh, for parents who are considering doing this to, to just do your research. So look into what the event is. So first of all, what are you protesting? If it's uh, in line with what your values are and something that you feel very strongly about, well, that's great. That's the first step. But look into who is organizing it. So are the organizers people or institutions that have uh, a footprint within uh, the protesting realm. So is this their first rodeo or have they done this many times? If it's the latter, then certainly they, they know what to anticipate, how to get all of the variables in place so that people remain safe, how to have some, you know, um, uh, how to have the supports that are there that they would require if there are going to be large crowds. I would also say, you know, look into perhaps starting small and, and going big. So, you know, if you this is your first time taking your family out to a protest, then certainly start with one that's perhaps more local, one that's perhaps in an area that you're familiar with, one that is perhaps not as large. So if it's something that you know is going to have, you know, 
you know, thousands of people. Now, certainly right now, that's not going to happen because we're in the midst of a pandemic. But were it normal times, you know, I would say to, you know, start small and then get bigger as you go, as you get more comfortable and you're more aware of, of what to anticipate at these events. Right. You know, I, you know, I remember taking my daughters down to um, the Women's March when um, Trump was elected. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was, a, it was, a, you know, it brought a lot of women together. It felt very um, inviting. But as we were marching, we did come across some people who were, um, you know, obviously anti-women, <laughs> mm -hmm. which, which was interesting because it opened up a conversation, obviously, for my daughters and I to have. But further, I think about, you know, these protests now because, you know, uh, especially Black Lives Matter, when I look at the States, and mm -hmm. people are showing up to incite violence um, and, and to, um, to fight back. Uh, what, how do we keep our kids safe in that matter? So like, what are, are there things we should be looking for? Um, is, there, is there a place we should stay perhaps in the protest uh, to avoid that kind of confrontation? Well, those are really good questions, Candace. What I would say first and foremost, and you're a mother and I'm a mother and, you know, there are fathers who do the same thing. Um, I, I tend to, uh, if when I'm with young children or when my children were very young, I would always be looking for an exit. <laughs> um, and that would be for safety reasons, but also for practical reasons. Because as you know, young kids, you know, they have issues. They might decide that, you know, they're going to have a, a meltdown or they might decide that they have to go to the bathroom right then and there. So I I think that the same kind of goes for any type of protest that you're going to go to, especially or particularly with younger children. Just make sure you're aware of where you are. So know your surroundings, know where um, you need to exit to if you need to exit exit quickly and you know I think it's probably not a bad idea to kind of remain on the periphery of things so I wouldn't get right in the midst of a large crowd now again this is you know speaking from the perspective of um, considering that we're back to normal times where it's it's you know not not a pandemic right now it's going to be a little bit different because if you are going to protest you would need to physically distance and you would need to make sure that you are protected wearing masks and that type of thing but you know know where you can you know kind of get out of the thick of things if you need to also stay you know kind of near the edges not into the midst of things um and i think you know again as I, I know i've said this before but really doing that research and determining who is actually organizing this particular event because i think that's going to um that's going to color the type of event it's going to be is it going to be you know largely positive is it going to be largely you know older people with kids? Is it going to be largely younger people? You know, so doing that research is going to inform whether or not you feel it's the best place to go with your children. And I just want to touch on something briefly, because you wrote about this in Today's Parent, and I encourage everybody to go read this article uh, in its entirety. But one of the things you mentioned was to look for a large police presence. Mm -hmm. so what does that indicate? If there, and this is based on the expert that I quoted uh, in the article, if there is a large police present before anything even occurs, that might be an indicator that there is uh, some, um, you know, possible 
confrontation that is going to be anticipated. And if there's going to be a confrontation, whether or not it's verbal and then progressing to physical, you don't want to have that when you have children with you. So if you do see a large police presence or you hear in advance that, you know, you know, large sectors of the police are mobilizing at this particular event, then that might be your cue to say, you know, maybe I'll pass on this one and I'll go to the next one because that usually indicates that okay things are, are probably not going to go uh, too positively if, if you know if that many uh, law enforcement people are, are planning on making themselves known. Okay wonderful. Samantha thank you so much for joining me this was very informative I really appreciate it and uh, we'll have you back soon. Great thanks for having me Candace. it's always fun. I'm a savage, classy, bougie, ratchet, sassy, moody. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Ann Brody. And Ann, this week you're bringing me an interview. Yes, from TIFF. It's a couple of great people, Joel Kinnaman and Numi Rapace. And if you're a film fan, you know who these people are. Stunning film about a woman who sees a man across a park who may or may not be the man who persecuted her as a Nazi. 15 years earlier. Okay, let's listen to that. And what was it like keeping up that that um, anxiety level, that your character's anxiety level throughout the film? I felt that we were all, me, Joel, um, Chris Messina, Yuval, and Amy, we all came in with all our own <laughs> demons and dreams and, and brokenness and brought it into the table. So I felt like we were all on this journey together with with, with you know, I kind of promised herself to not play it safe. <laughs> so yeah. I felt like all my doors were wide open. And with Joel, I know Joel and I trusted him. So I felt like I can let it out and I can and I can explore it with him. So I felt right. like we went on a journey together very much, Joel. And some takes, I kind of felt like we lost time and we lost <laughs> the sense of the world, right? Yeah. Wow. Joel, your character, he's, he's living a false life on so many levels. And, uh, you know. So easy for me to identify with, you know. Yeah, really? <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> so a few years ago, he was this alpha male. And here he is. He's a victim. This big, powerful man. He's a victim to a tiny, determined woman. That was incredible to me. And, you know, again, that seems lifelike the way it was portrayed. Tell me about that, if you would. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, intense physical, you know, scenes and, and with, with emotional distress and I've been tortured on film several times. Um, I thought I, I was, you know, I thought this was, you know, going to be heavy, but I, I wasn't expecting uh, what it was going to be like. And, and it actually, uh, it, it probably it hit me harder than anything that I've done, I think, uh, at least on film. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and um, and it's, it's a combination of, of both, the, you know, like even, even though you're, you're you un, psychologically, uh, you know that this is not real. You, you have an intellectual understanding of the situation you're in. It's a job and, and it's acting, but your body doesn't know that. So the, the body responds to the, the trauma in a way. Right. And then you find that with uh, with having, um, you know, a, a staging of it that was very real with, uh, you know, the, the ropes were tied really tight. I mean, I was like, my hands were, my arms were bleeding from the ropes and 
my, my the, the the sides of my the, the corners of my mouth got cut from the gag being so tightly uh, taught. And then uh, you know, Numi and Chris that. You know, me and Numi, we know each other very well artistically as well. And so, you know, it, it really was this, Numi explained it perfectly. That was exactly my feeling. It, it felt like we were sinking together and we kind of sank into this deep, dark concentration where we sort of, uh, I felt like, we, you know, there were, there were times when it felt really eerie. Uh, it felt eerily real. And... Uh, and well, you know, it's so interesting. If you have that trauma in the past, you share, you, you have this moment when you, these two characters both broke that night somehow, yeah. but in total different ways, you know, and to live with the shame, to live with the guilt or to live with the loss and the humiliation, they both have this connecting point of pain that turned into rage or, or shame, but like, yeah. That was so strange. I could see in Joel's eyes and his body, I could feel his pain. And somehow I felt more connected to him than I did with most people around her, Maya, in yeah. that life she was living. And that is, that is the complexion of a trauma, of an event, a night, a, a situation that went deeply, deeply wrong. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, you two. Very powerful. Thanks so much for bringing us that this weekend. So quickly, we only have about 30 seconds left. What are uh, two can't miss shows this week? Oh, they're both on Netflix. One is The Devil All the Time. Oh my God, (gasps) stunning, stunning film. Robert Pattinson plays this crazy Southern preacher. um, And it's these two little towns where, with a history of violence and going back to the hillbilly days, just Stunning, you can't believe what you're seeing. It's so powerful. The devil all the time. The other one is Ratchet, which is (laughs) this incredible star-studded film based on Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sharon Stone's in it, Sarah Paulson, and I have a blog post with them. So, Okay, wonderful. So everybody can find that up on the website then, and we'll put this up on the Facebook page. Thanks so much, Ann. All righty, see you next week. I'm a savage. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? that quarantine 15 working out for you? Personally, I've been in a constant struggle to keep the weight at bay during this pandemic. Randa Dirksen is a busy mom of two, a certified holistic nutritionist and certified sports nutrition consultant. She helps busy and overwhelmed moms learn realistic nutrition. No diets, no deprivation. She recently released her ebook, Real Life, The No Deprivation Nutrition Guide, and joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Randa. Thanks for having me. So what compelled you to pull this guide together? Through my own experiences. um, I've been all over the map from eating strictly clean eating where it made my mental health deteriorate and be like miserable to be around because I was always hangry or 
I'd be like, oh, I don't eat that, <laughs> you know, um, to the opposite end where I didn't understand nutrition. So I've been through all these different steps and I was just like, you know what, this, this needs to get out there. This needs to get put in writing to show moms that there is an easy way to have the best of both worlds. And, and the message is really that diets just don't work, right? No, no, they don't. They don't because there's an end date. Right right? You shouldn't be taking out foods that you want to keep eating. Okay. So let's talk about some of your key points then. You talk about meal planning. Why is that so important? Um, Having a plan in place is just key because otherwise, you know, you're busy with the kids or work and you come home, you're like, oh, what's in the fridge? And then you don't have a plan in place. You don't have the ingredients you need. So planning out at at the very least your dinners is key because at least you'll have everything set in motion. And you save money too, because you're not sitting there at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. going, oh my gosh, okay, it's called Domino's. Like, <laughs> it's true. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned meal planning because, you know, when we first went into uh, lockdown, uh, I kind of fell off the meal planning wagon thinking, well, I'm at home all the time. What's the big deal? But actually, it's more important than ever now because it feels like it's easier for me to fall off the wagon. Uh, you know, and just eat, go for something bad um, as opposed to want to have something planned. Oh gosh. In the beginning of the lockdown, do you know how much skip the dishes we did? And even just simple, like easy microwavable like burritos, like it was insane. Like that's when we need a plan most to keep our sanity going. Okay. So in general though, you don't believe in cheat meals. So, no. um, and I, and I hear that cheat meals a lot. You know, a lot of people do, they do fasting or they do keto so they, they cheat on carbs or they cheat, you know, on their non-fast days. Why do you not believe in cheating? Well, I don't think you should ever feel guilty about any kind of food. You have a slice of cake, move on. It was delicious. Enjoy that. You're not going to feel bad after slaving all night, making this cake for your child's birthday and then not have any or feel bad for doing it. Like you put tears in that cake if you're, if you're anything like me. Um, the cheat meals lead to cheat days which lead to cheat weekends and the whole oh diet starts Monday. It's, it does something to your mental space and it makes you feel guilty about food. Right. I think so it's it's, get, it's just, getting off that hamster wheel. Right. And just, <sighs> um, you know, giving your, forgiving yourself and, and not even forgiving, just really just enjoying it and going yes. right back to eating well. Yeah. It's okay. Cool. You had pizza. Awesome. Go have a salad with it, you know, on the side or, you know, like it, there's nothing wrong with having food you love and enjoy. Just maybe not every meal. Right. Okay. So you also talk about um, weight loss. So what is your feeling on that? Well, healthy doesn't mean like weight loss doesn't mean health is my big takeaway from that. Um, it's cool. If you feel like you need to lose weight for a health perspective, that is one thing. You don't have to lose weight to be healthy. And I think that's, I think that in my personal story, that was a big thing. Um, I was quite small because I wanted to be quote unquote skinny. Like that was my goal, but I was so unhealthy, but yet I was being clapped up for it. You know, they're like, oh yeah, you look great. I'm like, cool. I'm only eating 1200 calories a day and I'm miserable. Like, right. Yeah. But if you want to lose weight, absolutely. Weight loss doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you're doing it for the right reasons, if you're doing it for you, if you're doing it for your health, if you're doing it to fit into jeans that you used to have in high school, that might not be that, um, 
constructive or if you're doing it for someone else or to look like someone else. That's when I'd be like, hey, you know what? Let's maybe just go talk to someone. Like, right. You know, we all have things we need to work through. Okay. So if I were to walk into your kitchen right now and open up the refrigerator, what would it look like? Um, it's a chaos mess right now. Uh, <laughs> I just went and got a bunch of groceries and it's like falling out. <laughs> but you will always find some chopped veggies that are prepped to go because when you want a snack and you want something quick, I have to reach and grab something that's available. Um, if they're not prepped and ready to go, that's when I'll go to my pantry and reach for the chips and salsa. Right. So it's really just about putting some, a little bit of thought into it and preparation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if yeah. people want to access your guide though, and, and, and download it for themselves, where can they go to find that? Yeah, you can go to randonutrition.com slash nutrition guide, and that will take you to the direct link. Or you could just go to randonutrition.com for access to um, my guide and all my recipes. Okay. And on social, people can follow along. Your pictures, by the way, are beautiful. So people should follow you on Instagram. Thank you. Yeah. I'm everywhere across all the social channels at Random Nutrition, including TikTok. I'm new there. I'm experimenting. It's fun. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today, Randa. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Tell me that you got a good thing for me. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.